Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What is up? It's a gold fam. I know it's been a few weeks since we've released a new episode, but we are officially back. It's been quite a whirlwind in trying to make some changes to the show to make the content as best as possible to help inspire you to build your dream life no matter what. I know a lot of the show from the beginning had a lot to do with helping you through tragedy, specifically grief and just really difficult times. And helping you develop that resilience muscle through sharing other people's stories of how they powered through and were able to move through really tough times and ultimately build their dream life. I've taken a lot of feedback from our listeners and the show will be evolving just a little bit. In each Bits of Gold episode, I'll be highlighting someone's personal story and how they're building their dream life. And I'm going to have a range of people coming on the show to share their personal story from athletes to entrepreneurs to people who are no different than you and me who are just building a life they love. And it's my goal that their lessons from their story and their life will help you wake up to who you truly are, find your own life purpose, and build your dream life, build your happy life just like they are. And I know that some of these stories... Many of the stories that we've had on thus far are beyond inspirational. And a lot of those people have faced significant tragedy, some significant loss, but they've been able to move forward and build their dream life. And I know with the stories that we have lined up, many of the people that are coming on, all the stories will really inspire you to get out there and build your dream life. A new episode will drop every Monday morning, so be sure to subscribe and let me know what you want to hear so I can continue to give you the best content possible. Today, I am so excited to be releasing this episode. My guest today is beyond inspirational, beyond inspiring, and her story is just so beyond moving. Leah Schuster-Bierre, founder and CEO of Alula. Leah is the founder and CEO of Alula, the radically honest resource-making Cancer Less Lonely. On January 11th, 2018, on the cusp of her 30th birthday, six months after graduating from Warden, Leah was diagnosed with a rare form of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Taking the knowledge gained from her experience, Leah built Alula to support people, families, and friends through the entire life cycle of cancer, from diagnosis and treatment to recovery and sometimes bereavement. Prior to Alula, Leah built a career in community development and impact investing, partnering with mayors and governors across the country to create innovative financing solutions that improved community outcomes. She started her career at Goldman Sachs on the corporate currency derivatives team. In addition to receiving her MBA in entrepreneurial management from the Warden School, Leah is a proud Dartmouth alum, native Queens girl, and an immigrant. Guys and girls, this episode is something else. It is truly one of the ones that 
moved me, gave me chills multiple times, and really made me take a step back at the end and just reflect on the life I want to build and how to think through building that life and just how grateful you know I am to wake up every day and be afforded the opportunity. Awesome. Leah, thanks so much for coming on the Bits of Gold podcast today. I'm so excited, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so really, really pumped to have you on. Came across what you were building. I think it came up with my newsfeed. I'm sure we have some mutual connections. And just what you were building so resonated with me, more on a personal level where I spent a good amount of time in a hospital. Just a quick overview. You know, my I lost my dad, unfortunately, at 20 to cancer, my mom at 25. And although both their cancers were totally different, I spent such a significant amount of time in the hospital with each of them. And when I saw what you're building in Alula, uh, you know, I was like, wow, if only this existed when I was in the hospital with my parents, something like this so could have helped them and myself. So just was so inspired and wanted to get you on the show to share your story, share what you're building in Alula. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about your loss. And I've been right there too. The kernels of Alula came during my mom's diagnosis in 2016. And I, very similar to you, was in my 20s, was a super terrified daughter, didn't have kind of the the wherewithal at the moment to, Alula was not on the brain. What was on the brain was probably much of what you've lived through too, dealing with the mixture of emotions, fear of losing your parent, and desperately wanting to help them and realizing that when you turn to digital tools, there was nothing to help you do that. And when I got diagnosed two years later, I personally found much of the same and it it got me motivated to build this business. So I'm excited to tell you more about it. And thank you so much for bringing me here. Absolutely. So first, your mom, your mom got sick and you were in your 20s. Yes, my mom was diagnosed in January of 2016. I was about six months into my MBA at Warden. I had just gotten married. I was 27. And at the time, we spent, like everyone, you remember the corner of the street when you get that call that someone you love dearly had a problematic scan or had a problematic test result. I was on my way to a summer MBA internship interview, and I learned my mom had actually been holding off telling me about the previous mammograms that were worrisome, and it was clear that she was about to start treatment. I grew up in an immigrant family in Queens, New York. I have two siblings, and the five of us are extremely close. All of our family is overseas. And it was the first time that I think we felt the amount of help that we needed since we emigrated to this country. And what stunned us was how little outside of what was a very tightly prepped clinical plan, it felt like the care really dropped off in terms of my mom's new uncle lifestyle. How is she supposed to think about her disability leave? How is she supposed to prep for her lumpectomy and ultimately her mastectomies that rendered her physical body different? And The kernel for Alula actually started on the couch before my mom had a mastectomy prepping what she needed at home after she came home from the OR and in the subsequent weeks. And my mom looked at me and was like, Leah, why didn't I get a shopping list from the oncologist? There are so many 
things I need to buy, but I don't know where to buy them. And I don't know what's good. And I don't know what's safe. And I don't know what's going to make me feel good. And I should have known right there that I was sitting on a business idea, but I was 27. And I was like, mom, let's just figure it out. And so what we learned very quickly was that this information exists and these products exist, but they're scattered across the internet. And they're scattered in text messages between other patients that have been there before you. They're scattered in waiting rooms. They're sitting with the stranger next to you and that you're like, you're itching to ask them, where do they get the wig that they're wearing or the pick line cover that they're wearing? Or what are they doing for their pain? And I became obsessed with how can we crack that kernel earlier? And how can we get there for my mom? Fortunately, after five different lumpectomies and two different mastectomies, my mom was rendered in in remission in the fall of 2017. Over that period of time, we had discovered so many things that had helped her. And it sort of felt like a waste. Gosh, we learned so much information. We learned so many tactical ways to manage the logistics, to manage finding the stuff, finding the words, finding the help. But it was useless to us. And we wanted to make sure the next patient would feel better. To be honest, at that point, I kind of had those feelings. But I was itching to get back to my life. I had just graduated business school. I had just moved to New York City and reunited with my husband, who was wrapping up his residency in Boston. And a few months later, unfortunately, my life went on pause again on January 11th of 2018, just a few months after my mom wrapped up her mastectomy. I was diagnosed with a rare form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma called primary mediastinal non-Hodgkin's B-cell. And what that really means is I had a, a cancer of my immune system of one of the building blocks of our immune system. And it was quite advanced. They had found an eight by 10 centimeter tumor. I had just gone off a flight in Salt Lake City. I was on my way to my first vacation after grad school, but it was very clear on the scan that I had a malignant mass. Within moments, my life shattered. And very quickly, our ski vacation became this kind of almost blissful, like window where everyone thought we were doing something else. I didn't have to go to work, but I was actually setting up emergency IVF to preserve my fertility before treatment. I was setting up my care for aggressive targeted therapy, and I was starting to put the pieces of what my life was going to look like. I was fortunate to get set up at care at Morrill Stone Kettering. I was fortunate to have a genetic mutation of my tumor that made me eligible for certain aggressive targeted immunotherapy, and I got underway. What I never anticipated was all of the ways that I suddenly was in this completely new lifestyle. And I felt that there was no brand out there that saw me that really felt like my experience with cancer. There was no brand that was, you know, again, similar to my mom's pain point, selling me what I needed to get through all the side effects, helping me feel less alone with radically honest stories about the things that were keeping me up at night was I going to die? How was I going to ever like restart my career? What was going to be the impact on my brand new marriage? Like very life altering questions. And I sort of just kind of drudged along. I, I set up resources as I learned about them. You know, six months later, I wrapped up my first course of treatment. I thought I was in the clear. My oncologist told me to go enjoy the summer, be a regular 30 year old. I had just turned 30 that year. But a few months later for my routine three-month scan, the tumor had reinflated and my cancer had relapsed. And that's when my odds of survival really plummeted. 
I was 30 at the time. I was desperate to live. And I started to think about, okay, how can I actually activate the hundreds of people that had been following me, being extremely willing to help out? And I ended up sending out an email the night before I checked in for treatment that I believe radically changed my clinical outcomes. I hacked a recovery registry. I deeply didn't want motivational socks that told me I'm so strong or pink blankets. I got a ton of those, even though I don't have breast cancer. I knew there were functional medical supplies that provided me relief. I knew the science about certain anti-cancer nutritional foods that would help prevent angiogenesis and the buildup of tumors. I knew that I needed love to surround me, but in certain doses and only when it was safe, when I wasn't neutropenic, when I wasn't at the hospital. And so I hacked a care calendar that sort of told people, hey, over the next 17 weeks, this is when I have chemo, this is when I have radiation, this is when I'm neutropenic, this is when I'm going to have an autologous stem cell transplant, this is when I'm going to be a bubble girl. And I shipped it off to 160 people, friends and family, coworkers, neighbors, folks that had been writing me letters and cards and sending me texts, how can we help you and Ben. But the first time I had cancer, I literally didn't know how they could help. And so I didn't know it that night, but that was when I effectively prototyped Alula. Over the course of the next week, I overnight raised $30,000 worth of services that we deeply needed to get through treatment and included funds for transportation to treatment. It included a booked schedule of my friends that were coming at different moments in the ways that I needed them. It included 19 boxes of Cardinal Health medical grade hot packs, which I needed for all my bone pain. And though I didn't know at the time what radiation would feel like or what it would feel like to recover from a transplant, I had the digital tools to start to organize the love around me. And I had access to products that would create relief. And when I saw that feedback, I sort of thought, gosh, what if every patient in America had these tools? What if we actually built a recovery registry, a care calendar, a digital profile that's modern, that integrates with your Gmail and integrates with Instagram and integrates with the rest of your life? Because that's how modern cancer patients are navigating their illness and their communications. And so I pledged to myself, if I survived, I'd go build a Lula. I had my transplant on March 5th of 2019. I had a 100-day quarantine, which was the required, which, I mean, now it's, it's so funny to talk about it because our whole society collectively now understands what that word <laughs> is. And I rested that summer per oncology guidance. And I came back that fall and started to bootstrap the initial prototypes. I convinced my loving husband to invest our daycare savings. We were planning to, our plans for our family were on pause. And so our new baby was Alula. That was so fun in the first six weeks of, of working on that. I decided that in 2020, I was going to quit my job and go raise capital to build a world-class team to build this business. I, of course, never thought 2020 was going to be the year that was, but I did quit my job. I ended up raising $2.2 million. The round was led by Andy Dunn, who founded Bonobos and is considered sort of the grandfather of direct-to-consumer. We have premier investors, including Susan Lyon, who helped found Guilt and was instrumental in Zola. We also were the first check in a fund that Chelsea Clinton is building at the intersection of consumer and education and healthcare. And so I've been hard at work building this business from my living room because <laughs> I'm still quite immunocompromised. 
And it's been the dream of a lifetime. Wow. Wow. That's a lot. Thank you so much for for sharing all that. You know, I want to dive a little bit more into like before Alula was created, you were getting like an advanced degree or master's in business or business management, it sounded like. Were you always planning to start your own business? Was that always a dream or was this more like a personal calling and you can just sense in your story and how you tell your own story that there's a fire deep within you and you're like, I'm going to make this happen. That's so that's so sweet. So yes, I mean, at the time when my mom got diagnosed, I was at Warden pursuing my MBA and my focus was on entrepreneurial management. I had also done a semester in San Francisco and their startup focused curriculum. But honestly, I went there because my mom had moved her treatment to San Francisco for one of her surgeries. And I convinced the dean of Wharton to let me go so I could help my father with her recovery. There were all these things that I think happened that gave me the tools to build the company. But my background was in impact investing. I started my career at Goldman Sachs on the currency derivative desk. I was there for three years, you know, getting to the desk by 7 a.m., picking up currency trades from London and Hong Kong overnight. And we were working with technology and consumer retail companies like Apple and Google and the like to think about how geopolitical changes impacted their bottom line. I was a geography and government major in undergrad. And like, it was the coolest job to have to read the news for work and understand like, how does a geopolitical crisis in some piece of the world send shocks through the economy? I was always really interested in taking the skill set from Wall Street and bringing it to the social impact and civil society world. And so after three years, I decided to join a startup in Boston. And I was at one of the leading companies building social impact bonds, which help mayors and governors invest in a more outcomes-driven way around community-level initiatives, around ending homelessness, investing in maternal health, investing in early childhood education. And I went to Warden to figure out how to build my own impact investing fund. So no, Alula was never on the roadmap. I do think that having studied, you know, these preeminent direct-to-consumer models, such as Warby Parker and Allbirds and Harry's, which were incubated at Warden, there certainly was that kernel in me as I was taking in my mom's desire for a better way to shop for products, information, and radical honesty. And then when I was living through it, I just thought, my gosh, no one is treating the cancer patient as an underserved consumer that they are, and they need products, information, and radical honesty at a moment when their life is on the line. And so it's certainly a surreal kaleidoscope of serendipity, but no, I think I increasingly got extremely angry with our healthcare system. I first got really angry when I was in these waiting rooms mm. waiting for my mom to get out of the OR. I then got really angry when we were driving home from her first mastectomy and we found out that we were missing a pillow that would go between her seatbelt and her raw chest. And I you know, later found out an incredible breast cancer survivor has actually invented the perfect product for that and we're selling that on Alula. Then when I got sick... I was in a a really fortunate position. I'm married to a Harvard-trained internal medicine doctor who at the time was the chief oncology fellow at MSK. The two of them became 
my beacons. But even the two of them couldn't really figure out all of these lifestyle questions. They're like, Leo, we didn't go to medical school to help you buy a wig. But those were the things that were causing my depression. That was what was causing my isolation. That's what made me feel like a cancer patient. And I started to see that there was a massive gulf between what oncology clinical teams are trained to do and paid to do and what cancer patients are needing to live their new cancer life and and post-cancer life. And I became extremely obsessed with fixing that. Mm. It's so inspiring. And I love how you're like, you know, we raised $2.2 million and Andy Don and Bonobos and among other really inspiring people that have done impactful things in the D2C space. Because, you know, a lot of people, they have ideas or even they start a business, but they try to solve a problem, create a solution for it, but they're not raising from like an all-star cast of people who have done amazing things in business. So it's super inspiring. And I think, you know, one thing that personally I can just relate to, it's definitely a, a bizarre thing when, so my mom was in the hospital for two months. And uh, from when she checked in, she never ended up getting out of the hospital. And it was very long and really a horrific experience because first she started at Cornell and they couldn't figure out what type of cancer she had. Then she went to Sloan. Then they sent her back to Cornell and she ultimately went back to Sloan. So over a two month period though, she never came home. She was always in the hospital. And the word that comes to mind for me is just like, it's somewhat a dehumanizing experience because obviously no one's hoping you remain sick in there. You know, the doctors are trying to get you out. They're trying to get you healthy, but it's like everyone's wearing the same gown. They get the same socks. Like I remember when my, when my mom was in the hospital, you know, she had that the same hospital blanket for the two months that she was sick. And I remember talking about it with my mom, just like how, like, there's nothing in here to make you feel like, oh, you know, like even right now I'm looking outside a window and I'm like, there's something to look out to where you're like, oh, there's, there's something amazing outside going on with this weather. We're like in there, you know, it's just like you're in the same gown for my mom. She was in the same gown for two months, same blanket, same socks. And the day we took her from the house to the hospital, it was like she left behind, you know, what her life was. And there was a bag that we packed when we first, we didn't know that she was, when we took her to the hospital, we thought she was in some pain and we thought she was going to go there. They were going to resolve the pain and she'd be on her way home, but she had never ended up leaving. And we packed this bag for her. And then after she had passed, the bag just sort of got like pushed to the corner. And I remember when I was cleaning up maybe six, seven, eight months after she had passed away, I found the bag and I unzipped it and I didn't know what it was. And then I saw that it was all their stuff that we never unpacked. It made me think in that moment, there isn't really the stark contrast between what your life is before and what your life is after. I read on your website, you would put it very succinctly. There are a few days that divide your life into two parts, before times and after times. And yeah, I just think it's like in the in the hospital, it's not the intention. It's just like the goal is to get you better, right? Their goal isn't to like make you feel just like a regular person. And in fact, you're, you know, you're facing something that you're dealing with something that isn't maybe what the average person outside is dealing with. Oh, my eyes are misty. I resonate with that so much. I think that metaphor of packing up the bag, the minute you get your diagnosis, it's sort of like, no one tells you this, but your prior life just gets packed up. And no one's in the business of helping you pack a new bag. No one's in that business. That's what we're focused on here at Alula. Yeah, I'm having such a strong reaction to your story because the night before I was going to get checked in for 
my inpatient treatment, I too wanted something to feel like Leah in the hospital. And (laughs) I was living in Murray Hill at the time. And I kind of got this idea at like seven o'clock and it dawned on me that I wasn't going to be able to go shopping again for a while. I wasn't going to be able to walk the streets because I wasn't able to be exposed to construction fumes and a lot of the fumes that are in New York City. And so I went to the nearest store, which was this like Ann Taylor loft. And I went to their like cozy section and I bought like these loud pajamas that I could wear in the hospital and feel like myself. But it feels like you're in prison when you're in there. And honestly, it feels like you're in prison when you're recovering in your living room, in your bedroom. Sometimes even on the subway heading back to work, you feel like you're living in this glass box that the rest of the world can't understand. But I think what stuns me as I started to unpack the fundamentals of like whether I had a business model here and whether the market was big enough for me to quit my job and dive in on this project is that unfortunately, our stories are not niche. One in three Americans are going to get cancer in their lifetime. You're four times more likely to get cancer in your lifetime than you are to get COVID. And so what I'm and my team are really thinking through is how do we kind of wake up the world to this horrific experience that actually a lot of our society is going to experience in their lifetime. Mm. That's a crazy statistic. So when your mom was sick, you remember so clearly, obviously, when you get a phone call that a loved one is sick and you get that news. Like personally, you know, I remember it's almost like I could put myself exactly back to where I was, what I was wearing for both my instances. But when your mom was sick, how did you navigate and finding ways to support her? Because obviously, you know, something like Alula didn't exist at the time. And I know that, you know, this was like sort of light bulb sort of went off and you started to, but you know, your focus was really, how can I support mom? Not, you know, how can I build a business around this? Yeah. The first thing I did was I scoured my friendships for folks who've been in my position before. And honestly, what was so eye-opening to me was I didn't have to work that hard to do that. So many, again, one in eight women in this country will have breast cancer in their lifetime. And so many of my friends came out of the woodwork to actually raise their hand and say, hey, I've, I've been where you are. I've been putting together this list of the products that helped my mom. I have links to what helped us think about the calendar that we were going to build around who was going to bring her to the hospital, sit sit with her on the couch and, and watch Netflix, help her recover, help her with her shower, help her with her bandages after her mastectomy. And what I quickly learned was that a lot of this expertise is actually sitting in the lives of patients and caregivers who've been there before. And what stunned me was my gosh, why has no one called this to create a one-stop digital hub of this radically honest information that you're only getting when you're talking to someone who's been there before, who has also, unfortunately, through trial and error, figured out what worked. And when I was sick, it was a similar experience. It was these conversations with other patients who actually didn't even have my type of cancer because I was diagnosed with something so rare that only 3,000 women a year get in this country. People didn't know who to have me talk to. And so I started talking to other 30-somethings who had 
late stage lung cancer, late stage breast cancer, late stage testicular cancer. And what stunned me was that it actually didn't matter what type of cancer they had most of the time. What mattered more was, did they also have radiation? And did they have mucositis? And I found out through other patients that there's something called magic mouthwash, which you can ask for your patients, basically like massive numbing (laughs) mouthwash because during radiation mucositis, you literally can't even swallow water. And so our goal at Alula is to, through our patient collective, which asks caregivers and patients to share these insights with us so that we can continue to refresh our marketplace, so that we can continue to build the leading digital profile and hub for managing the communications and logistics of your care. We believe that this knowledge lives in folks that have been there before. And we know that what folks that have been through it, whether or not the outcome was what they wished, do deeply wish that the next cancer patient and their loved ones don't have to go through the same hell. And so it's become a big piece of the nucleus of our work, continuing to mine existing and recent experiences. And I'll, I'll say one last thing. I mean, of course, going through cancer in 2020 and 2021 is very different than what it was going through cancer in 2018 and 2019. Unfortunately, a lot of folks had to go through cancer more alone than ever before. Unfortunately, many patients, including me, have paused certain pieces of your treatment because it was an impossible decision. Were you more scared of cancer? Were you more scared of COVID? And I think for recent survivors such as myself, the glaring truth is that today's cancer patient becomes tomorrow's fill-in-the-blank patient. I'm fortunate to celebrate two and a half years in remission, but when people ask me, how are you feeling? It's hard for me to say I'm feeling great because I'm actually suddenly dealing with a lot of long-term consequences of the aggressive treatment that I received. I'm in medically induced menopause at the age of 33. I have a cardiologist who's monitoring my heart very closely because I'm at high risk of a heart attack. I just started treatment for lymphedema in the right side of my body, which basically means the lymph nodes on that side of my body don't flush out lymphatic fluid efficiently. And I also have been in treatment for radiation fibrosis, which is the decaying of my muscles in my chest and back wall, which is where I got radiation. And so I think our goal at Alula is to offer our digital toolkit to patients from diagnosis through survivorship or bereavement. And in that process, we really are excited about expanding our survivorship offerings because curative medicine is working better than ever before. More people than ever are making it through, but we really have not built resources to navigate the new healthcare challenges that even cancer survivors are facing. Wow. Uh, You know, I'm like so blown away and just inspired in hearing what you're building, but also what, you know, you've personally lived through and continue to live through. What gets you out of bed in the morning? It's like you say it so matter of factly, and I understand that that these are the cards that you've been dealt, but what keeps you going in the morning? And I know that you said before, like, all you want to do is just, just live, right? Like, you're so young. What keeps you motivated and not just to build a Lula, but just to get out of bed in the morning? I think when I was a bubble girl right after my transplant in the spring of 2019, I spent 100 days not 
doing anything except sleeping. I, I was basically a newborn baby. I was sleeping 18 hours a day, trying to stomach some food and embracing yoga and meditation and therapy and journaling and radical rest to molecularly help my body take this stem cell transplant and start to build a new immune system that didn't have cancer. I felt like I was literally rewiring my body to not produce cancer. And that put me on this journey of both how can I create a life in which my body doesn't produce cancer? Because I think the elephant in the room is, Leah, like, when I got diagnosed, it was like, well, like, how? Like, does this run in your family? The answer is no. Is this genetic? The answer is no. And I went on a big spiritual path and still on it in, in answering that question. But for me, it became about meaning and cultivating deep bone level joy I think when you have 100 days where you can't go out with your friends, you can't go to work, you can't even walk the street without fearing for your life, you start to realize that not only is life so precious, but there's all of these seemingly mundane activities that are just like, we're so lucky to be able to do that. And with my position in this space, both as an advocate, as a survivor, as a patient, as a founder there's not a day that goes by that I don't get a text message from somebody in my life that says, Oh my gosh, Lee, do you have 15 minutes? Somebody I love just got the worst news of their life. And I feel deeply responsible to continue to mine my experience to help those ahead of me. But I'm desperate for a a digital technology that actually helps us do that and makes that resource widely accessible, not just in this country, but globally. And it's currently filling up my cup and helping me come to terms with why did this happen to me? Like, why, why me? Why did I have to get cancer twice? Why did I have to be in the hospital for thousands of infusions? Why did my life shatter? So building Alula and getting up in the morning helps me answer that question. And it helps me make sense of a completely nonsensical situation. What do you tell someone, you know, someone calls you or says, hey, I just got the worst news or there's someone I want you to connect with. They just got the worst news. What do you tell that person? I tell them to hold on to love. I think what we hear so often and and what I've lived through multiple times is how hard it is to ask for help. And asking for help is really the most radical offering of love, in my opinion. It's two people connecting with each other to get out of pain. And at the kernel of Alula, that's what we're building this technology to do. But I think when you get the worst news of your life, especially in the times that we're living through today, amidst political turmoil, amidst terrifying climate change, amidst a global pandemic, I think it becomes really hard for people to lean on each other and to lean on what I call their love army. And so My biggest piece of advice is wrap yourself in a love blanket, whatever that means for you, whether that's with your family, with your Mm. pet, with yourself, with the things that you love, because that's what I believe humans need to get through and persevere through life's worst moments. I love that. I want to bring up one other thing that I think might help a lot of people who tune into this episode. 
you know, I know when, when my mom was sick and, and my dad was sick, there were moments in both times where people would come over or people would visit and I was there for some of it. Sometimes I wasn't there, but I know that people would try to comfort them. And sometimes they'd say things that was like the furthest, the absolute furthest thing from comfort. I'm laughing now because I hear like, my dad's voice in my head saying like, if that person comes, don't let him in. I don't need to see that person again. What would be your advice or how to comfort someone that is dealing with cancer? Because I can't speak as much to the cancer side, but much more to the death side. It's like so many people get so hesitant and or they don't have the right words and get nervous just around saying, oh, how are you doing since your parents died? And you know, to me, it's more just like, these are the cards that I've been dealt and it's just a very much a piece of me and my story. But personally, I don't shy away from if you have questions or you know you want to talk about it, you don't need to be nervous to ask me, how are you doing since your mom died or something? Yeah. A lot of people fear even saying like dead or that person died. What would be your advice to someone that is trying to support a family member or a friend so they can actually support that person and you know not say something so crazy where then they offend the person they're trying to, to support? Yeah, I'm smirking right now because I've had so many of those moments. And we're actually building a tool called finding the words that we hope will help these conversations. <laughs> I think you said it perfectly. We are afraid of the C word. We're afraid of the D word. We don't have language as a society to talk about someone dying. We don't have language as a society to talk about grave illness, to even talk about somebody who looks sick or looks like they're in pain. We're not taught that in grade school. We're not taught that in upper school. And so I think it's created very unfortunate relationship with our mortality. I'm hopeful that the pandemic has actually caused a massive reckoning. Unfortunately, you know, never in 100 years has our society been collectively grieving loss of all kinds the way there is today. The advice I always give is this, Number one, there's no hierarchy of pain. I find that people are always like, oh, you know, you're going through so much when I'm going, it can't possibly compare. And I always say there's no hierarchy of pain. It's possible that as much as we can both be experiencing the same level of pain from potentially, you know, seemingly very different causes. So that's one level set. The second thing I say is ask the question that's like at the bottom of your throat that you're afraid you may blurt out incorrectly or you don't know the right words because the worst thing to do is you don't ask the question and instead you're not only are you beating around the bush but you're you're saying ridiculous stuff that actually makes the person feel less understood more alone and like they never want you to visit them like like your dad was warning and i think the third thing i i always say is hold the space for the uncomfortableness that comes after the question. I think that people, we similarly are not taught how to hold the space for those that are in pain. And if we just gave each other those 30 seconds, gosh, you get through that ocean of discomfort. And I believe what's on the other side is deeper intimacy and deeper understanding, deeper friendship and deeper love. So I'm excited to debut our Finding the Words tool because I think it will hopefully help a lot of friendships and marriages and work relationships and the like. But yeah, I think it's as simple as asking exactly what's on your mind because 
actually the other person really wants to talk about it, really wants someone to ask them that like terrifying question, because that's what's keeping them up at night. They're asking those same questions of themselves. And then the second thing is, you know, if we can just practice 30 seconds of holding each other's pain, gosh, could you believe where we could be as a society? Mm. Yeah. Like when my mom died, the people that came to visit me or be there with me, I didn't need them to necessarily say anything. I just wanted them to maybe be there and be with me. But that's personally what I found to be consistently helpful. You know, it wasn't always the things that people said. Honestly speaking, I don't remember anything that someone said that was like super supportive. I only remember the crazy things that people said in trying to like find the right words and not finding them and being like, oh, that was a crazy thing that person said. But I do remember all the people that were just there with me in those moments. We could start to wrap up this episode. I'm so inspired by what you're building and the fire that is so deep within you. We're not physically together, but through the screen, you know, like I could feel it. It's just like, I feel like you're on such a personal mission. I'm truly excited to see what Alula will will become, what the future holds, and the thousands and thousands, unfortunately, the people that you're going to help in the process. So I'm just so inspired by what you're building. The last question, you know, I like to ask, much of the show is about facing adversity and building your dream life. So with that being said, what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life you love? I think... What would you do if you found out tomorrow you only had six more months on this earth? Do that right now, today, tonight, tomorrow morning. That's my bit of gold. I've been living the last couple years like at any six-month scan, my life can shatter again. I am living life in this series of six-month leases. And I will say it's inspired some crazy ideas. (laughs) I live in my dream apartment. I live in Greenpoint on the water. It's why I envisioned I could potentially be at in my 40s or my 50s. And I honestly don't know if I'll make it to my 40s or my 50s. I just rented a house for the month of June in Greenpoint to be on the ocean. I had not been feeling well after pausing so much of my survivorship treatment. And I sobbed on Sunday when our rental was over because it had been such a lifelong dream to spend some time in a place like that and be able to share it with my parents, my in-laws, and some of my best friends. I got a puppy six months into my transplant life. So I unfortunately am living on six-month leases, and I'm, I know most people are not, but if you lived your life that you only had six months left at a time, what would you do differently? And how can you start doing that tomorrow? I love that so much. Where can our listeners connect with you? Find out more about Lula? Yeah, where can they connect? Yeah, so you can learn more about Alula at myalula.com. You can build a recovery registry or a shareable profile for someone who's going through cancer in your life. You could also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at our Alula. And If you want to check out my life as I continue living through this 11th chapter of hell, I'm at Leah Schuster Beer on Instagram. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Leah. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you like this episode, 
please take a minute, share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review on whatever platform you tune in on. It would mean the world, and it truly helps get the show out there in front of more people so they can be inspired by these incredible stories. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.